All right, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday night as I am recording this. Following both of the play-in games, uh, play-in tournament games that happened today for the Eastern Conference, uh, kind of an embarrassing performance for both uh, both Charlotte and Washington after they had a, a really incredible game just a few days, a couple of days ago, actually. Uh, Indiana takes it to Wash, or they take it to Charlotte in that early time slot game. Uh, Boston takes it to Washington in the second da- in the second game. Jason Tatum, he he played really really well in in this past one, and it really goes to show just how uh, just how awful that Boston Celtics roster is really, because he he was the guy, and then Kemba Walker was shooting, but beyond those two. Uh, it was kind of just Tristan Thompson rolling to the rim a little bit, grabbing some offensive rebounds. Evan Fournier did a couple things. Marcus Smart did a couple things, but it really was Tatum and Kemba. And without Jalen Brown there, I, I don't think they are long for the playoffs, but they will face uh, the Brooklyn Nets in that first uh, play-in game or in that first uh, round series in the 2-7. Uh, that should be pretty interesting. Uh, Kyrie Irving going up against his former team. And uh, Bill Simmons couldn't be uh, any more unhappy about it. But on this one, uh, we're we're not going to focus heavily on Blazers Nuggets today. Uh, I'll do some stuff in the third segment, but we're going to have plenty of time to preview this series. I have a special guest coming on for uh, Wednesday night, uh, dropping Thursday morning, that pod. I'll try to have another guest on later in the week beyond that, but do some predictions, do some more analysis. So I'm basically going to share a lot of the numbers tonight uh, that I shared in my article this afternoon, uh, the 16 stats to preview the Nuggets Blazers series. So we're going to get into that in the third segment. But for now, I want to circle back to the awards races. And I, I did these uh, I did these award races and, and released them on Twitter uh, a few days ago. But I wanted to go more in depth onto what some of these individual awards were going to be. Last week, I did the all-NBA teams, the all-defense teams, the all-rookie teams. This time, in these first two segments, I'm going to break down some of the individual awards, talk about who I picked, why I picked them, why they, why they deserve it, who are some of the other candidates that I could have chosen. But mostly, it's it's going to be about talking about the winners and talking about the teams associated with those guys, and I think that should be good. Going to have a lot of fun talking about that, and and it'll give us some some good reason to kind of take a step back from Nuggets Blazers because there'll be plenty of time to talk about that stuff. I plan on having a Blazers writer for tomorrow's podcast, so don't you worry. But now let's get started on some of these individual awards. Executive of the year and and coach of the year are going to the same team. Executive of the year. I would vote for James Jones of the Phoenix Suns. He's, I think, is the general manager. I don't think he's the president, but I think he's the general manager for the Phoenix Suns. And he has done a fantastic job ever since taking over from Ryan McDonough, who was awful, just awful, uh, running the Phoenix Suns. And any Phoenix Suns fan will tell you that. Ryan McDonough was the person who drafted DeAndre Ayton. Uh, That's not a great sign. But 
James Jones, he has done a great job of turning things around there. Starting, I think, really with Chris Paul. He traded for Chris Paul this offseason, took a chance on his contract, thought, okay, we've seen what you just did with the Oklahoma City Thunder, and we think that we can uh, have a good pairing with you and Devin Booker. Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, and Scraps. That is all it took to go get Chris Paul, who is rightfully getting not, not MVP consideration. He's like sub-MVP. The Nuggets fans, you guys know, like there is only one MVP this year. But Chris Paul has done a great job of helping turn things around there. When you get him for Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, Ty Jerome, I think they acquired Jalen LeCue, and there was a second round pick in there, I think. I don't think they even had to trade a first round pick, if I'm not mistaken. So if you can do that and go from a nine seed to a two seed, you also signed Jay Crowder. He also signed Cameron Payne, who turned around his career, found a really great home with the Phoenix Suns. And then he also gets a legacy award, James Jones does, for drafting Cam Johnson uh, with with the uh, with the pick that ultimately, like it was, it was a questionable pick by him at the time. Drafting Cam Johnson, somebody who many people had as a second round pick. Uh, I think James Jones drafted him 11th overall, and he got laughed at. It was his first major draft pick, and Cam Johnson is one of the more dangerous young forwards in the NBA today uh, as a shooter, as an as an uh, off-ball shooter, somebody who's very tall, somebody who's dynamic. Uh, it really goes to show that you shouldn't judge things on draft night and should absolutely wait for things to pan out a little bit. Although the Luka Doncic thing, that definitely should have been judged on draft night. But I think this is deserved. I really do think that he deserves this award. There are a couple other candidates here. Daryl Morey uh, for the Sixers. They were a tire fire before he got there. And he immediately flipped uh, Al Horford into something something of value for them. Danny Green. uh like he got Danny Green there, he got a couple of other pieces there, a little bit more spacing, but he also got off of that Al Horford contract, which is a big deal. Uh, he surrounded Ben Simmons and Embiid with uh, Danny Green. He put Tobias Harris at his natural position of power forward, and then he uh, he also added Seth Curry, trading Josh Richardson, who many would have said was a better player. Many people would have said that, that a more valuable player in Josh Richardson traded him for Seth Curry, who has just been great and filled the J.J. Redick role uh, that they had so desperately missed. Seth Curry was one of the most valuable players on that roster. They also got Dwight Howard, who's put together good backup minutes there. Uh, also got a couple of other pieces, drafted uh, Tyrese Maxey, guys like that. And they didn't give up the farm for James Harden. Nobody would have been, nobody would have questioned if they had, but he didn't give it up. And I think that's actually important. They get to see how Simmons and Embiid do as the top seed in the in the Eastern Conference. There is no excuse for them to not get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Like their pathway is probably going to be, well, it's either going to be Washington or Indiana in the first round. If they can't beat either of those teams, then they deserve to go home. 
and they all deserve to get fired. Then it's probably going to be New York or Atlanta. Actually, it'll definitely be either one of those teams. New York or Atlanta. It's not Milwaukee. It's not Brooklyn. It's not even Miami. It's New York or Atlanta. If they can't beat either of those two teams, then they deserve to get fired. So they should be able to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. And a year after where they were, uh, just getting blown out by the Boston Celtics last year in the first round of the bubble, it's a good turnaround for them. But he's not, I think he's second place. I wouldn't put him first. Uh, Sean Marks of Brooklyn does get credit for trading for James Harden. Also gets some legacy points for acquiring Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. Also gets legacy points, in my opinion, for getting a guy like Nicholas Claxton, who was a draft pick last year, but is now playing and has really shown that he can play. A lot of their guys have shown that they can play. He also acquired Bruce Brown this past year, this past offseason. And Bruce Brown has turned into a very valuable piece for them. Got Jeff Green, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan's kind of had to come along, but they've they've had a lot of great acquisitions. So Sean Marks deserves credit as well in Brooklyn. But that's that award. Coach of the year. I said it was going to the same team, and it's true. Monty Williams of Phoenix. I think he gets a lot of credit. I think all three of Chris Paul, Monty Williams, and uh, James Jones deserve a lot of credit for Phoenix. Like it's pretty equidistant in my or not equal parts, if that's what I mean. Because they developed that strong culture. And a lot of it from Monty Williams, they went 8-0 in the bubble last year. Didn't get into the playoffs because they were too far back, but they jump-started something. And Monty Williams was the coach then. He deserves a lot of credit for that. He's also helped turn DeAndre Ayton into a very strong defensive player. Developed a strong culture while CP3 is there. Has helped Mikhail Bridges, Dario Saric, Cam Johnson. They've all become valuable pieces. Mikhail Bridges, possibly the most valuable of them all. I think they they get a lot of credit. Monty Williams gets a lot of credit for that. And then Cam Payne, as I mentioned before, like turning Cameron Payne from where he was to what he is now, that's incredible. It's It just, it deserves a lot of credit. So I think that the Phoenix guys should definitely get a lot of credit. Chris Paul isn't quite an MVP candidate, but he's like a tier below that. And because they don't have an MVP candidate on their roster, like a a fully-fledged one, I do think that they deserve uh, organizational credit for what they've done. Other candidates, Tom Thibodeau helping turn around the New York Knicks, hard to do, like like given what they have and what what they ultimately did, that's impressive. Michael Malone, Nuggets fans will be happy to hear that, I think. Uh, I think he gets a lot of credit. A lot of general credit usually goes to Jokic and usually goes to Tim Connolly for the pieces added, but Michael Malone has to put those pieces into place. He has to develop Michael Porter Jr., keep the team afloat. And I think one of the things that stands out with him, his ethos, his don't do not give up mentality, his whatever the situation is, we are going to run through that brick wall. That mentality has rubbed off on, rubbed off on the Nuggets. 
and they are one of the most resilient teams in the NBA because of that, in addition to their great players, in addition to how their players operate. Michael Malone is as part of that as anybody. And then Quinn Snyder. Utah has the top seed in the NBA. They had a great formula all year, survived the Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley injuries. They get credit for that too. Uh, Quinn Snyder definitely deserves some, some credit for sure. And last one before we go to a break, uh, Julius Randle for most improved player. Nuggets fans will be not perturbed, but they'll, they'll think about, Hey, hey, wait, doesn't Michael Porter get some, some credit for being a most improved player candidate? I think he does. I think he definitely does. He had probably the largest jump from one season to the next of any player. And if you're going by the literal definition of the award, then I think that holds on to merit. I think that is a big, big deal. The problem is that he's a second-year player. He probably, like, like from where he was, you could tell that he was going to be a star, in my opinion. The fact that he did it deserves credit for sure, but I wouldn't have him at the top of my ballot because second-year players don't really, like, like, they're expected to improve. If he had improved to a 20.8 rebound guy, uh, multiple assist guy, if he had improved to that place, then maybe we could talk. Maybe we could say, okay, hey, this guy, like, it's undeniable what he's doing from where he was. But this really does feel like a standard star leap in the second year, where it kind of propels him onto a star leap in this third year. Whether that happens or not remains to be seen, but uh, he deserves credit. He would be on my ballot. Jeremy Grant is the other one who I think he deserves credit for going from a complimentary player to a primary scoring option. It wasn't perfect, and, and I think he definitely tailed off as the season went. Also dealt with some injuries, so that could have a, a definite impact there, but Going from a complimentary guy where everything is kind of spoon-fed for you to a starting star caliber uh, shot diet, not getting quality looks, has to kind of deal with what he's got, has to figure it out on the fly. I think he really showed a lot of growth there, and that is a harder level of growth, I think, than what Michael Porter had to go through. And that's okay. That's not a shot at Michael Porter. He does have Nikola Jokic, though, and he does have the Nuggets culture. Jeremy Grant went to the Detroit Pistons. Like, their best point guard might be Dennis Smith Jr., which is shambles. Like, it's it, that's incredibly bad. They don't have anybody that could really set him up. They needed somebody who could do that and never really got it. So I would hope that they could upgrade their roster going forward and they don't just waste his time while he's there. Uh, but we're going to see. We're definitely going to see what he can continue to do. My hope is that this is the start of him continuing to progress and he doesn't kind of move backwards from here. But we'll see. And then Julius Randle is my most improved uh, the points in his favor, I think, uh, he went from a solid starter to an all-NBA player. Like, 
Nobody else in the NBA did that this year. It really was just Julius Randle. And him being able to do that in the situation where he was, like who is the second best offensive player in New York right now? Think about their starting lineup. Alfred Payton, RJ Barrett, Reggie Bullock, Julius Randle, and Nerlens Noel. That was the most common lineup all year. Their other bench guys include Derek Rose. He's probably the guy that if you're thinking about, like, that's probably the one. Uh, they also have Frank Nilakina. Uh, they had Mitchell Robinson briefly before he got hurt. Uh, there's just not a lot there. And the fact that he was able to do what he did in the situation that he was deserves a lot of credit. He helped take New York from where they were to a four seed by making his own individual improvements. He became the primary offensive option. Very few he very few choices on that team, and he still managed to stay efficient. He became a 41% three-point shooter on volume. He shot a high percentage of low-quality looks and still managed to stay efficient. And he also had if not the heaviest workload, then one of the heaviest workloads in the NBA. Led the NBA in minutes, uh, had to take as many of those shots as he could for the Knicks. I think he was 24, 10, and 6 were his numbers this year. That's incredible. Just And with 41% from 3, that's incredible. So he should get credit for that. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to go through the the rest of these awards. But first, this podcast is sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Uh, They are running a great promotion right now where you get a chance to lower the over-under on a featured playoff game just by signing up, just by selecting a game. All you have to do when all players place a bet on the featured basketball game of this coming week, you will have a hand in lowering the over-under on that specific game. That's right. For every 1,500 players who bet the over on a select game, the over-under will drop by one point. Basically, this is free money. I had this explained to me. And basically, every better who hammers the over on a featured game, they're helping lower that game's over-under in general. If you work together with other betters, you can lower that all the way down so that the over-under, the over will definitely hit. And when that happens, you'll get free money. The best part is that even as the line lowers, the odds are going to remain at even money. So you can double your money by just hammering the over. You are limited to a max $25 wager, but it is a free $25. Promise you that. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to hammer the over. For every 1,500 people that bet the over in this featured game, the line will decrease by one point. So tell your friends, tell your family, this is a team effort. Hammer the over and improve your odds of doubling your money. That's promo code MHS for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, restrictions apply, max $25 wager, 
one per customer. Offer ends 5-23-21. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We will be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. All right, back here, Pickaxe and Roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate everybody that's reached out, and especially over this last week, I've had a lot of people reach out and say that they've really appreciated my work and appreciated the podcast. So thank you for all the kind words. It has meant the world. And as we get into the playoffs, it's going to get even busier. So all of those kind words, they do mean a lot. Let's talk now. Let's talk about Sixth Man of the Year. I have Joe Ingles as the sixth man, and the reason why I have him and not Jordan Clarkson is because I'm an analytics guy, and when you're an analytics guy, you tend to look at the numbers, you tend to look at the metrics, and you think, okay, who is actually providing the most value for these teams? And you think about Joe Ingles, somebody who's never gotten enough credit, always been an underrated guy. Always been an analytics guy because he plays the game the right way. But not the right way. Like, there is no right... Like, let me rephrase that. He plays the game the way that I appreciate the most. If that makes any sense. He's just extremely efficient. He maximizes his opportunities. 67.2% true shooting. That is incredible. Nearly a 3 to 1 assist to turnover ratio as the de facto point guard a lot of nights. He is awesome. High-level impact guy on the best team in the regular season. I think he's more valuable driving success than his teammate Jordan Clarkson, who is getting a lot of the fanfare. Jordan Clarkson, elite high-volume scorer. Somebody who helped anchor this bench unit. But if you ask Utah, if you ask who is more valuable to that team, they will 100% tell you Joe Ingles. And the reason why is he creates shots at a high level for others while limiting his mistakes. He won't go 6 of 20 in a playoff game. He might go 1 of 4, in which case you have some concerns, but he's a guy that if he goes 1 of 4, it's probably because he's making the right play every single time, or at least trying to do so. I think he's great. I think he's awesome. Just having watched uh, last year's playoffs between Utah and Denver, Ingles was a guy that Denver really had to contend with and really struggled with because they they had to load up on Donovan Mitchell. But when they got overextended on him, Joe Ingles made them pay almost every single time, it felt like. And he's made other teams pay too. Other candidates beyond Jordan Clarkson, Miles Bridges uh, of the Charlotte Hornets. I think he's a guy that, with his two-way capability, he was nearly at 50-40-90 this year. Uh, he's not the high-volume scorer that these other guys are, but he's just valuable in almost every facet of the game. He's switchable, he's athletic, he's energizing, he shoots the ball efficiently, just does everything that you want from like your third or fourth best player on your team 
down the line. He's eligible for six man this year. I thought that I should throw him a vote. Uh, I think he's a high impact guy, and I hope that he gets the money that he deserves. Jalen Brunson is the other guy that I would vote for. Lead playmaker behind Luka Doncic in Dallas. Very consistent guard, always productive. Does some good things. Uh, He's a guy that you're not scared of, but if you don't give him the proper respect, he's going to kill you. He would absolutely kill you. Okay, rookie of the year. I have LaMelo Ball. And that might be controversial to some people, especially like Nuggets fans have seen LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards and Tyrese Halliburton. And of those three players, I think that Edwards has killed Denver the most and Halliburton the second most, <laughs> at least from a, from a fan's remembering perspective. But LaMelo Ball, what he did at the beginning of this year, and especially like, like until he got injured, which was about halfway through. Dynamic playmaker, superstar level passer almost immediately. Like, I think Jokic is the best passer in the NBA. Lamella might be second. The things that he does with the basketball and the things that he sees ahead of everybody, it's incredible. It really is, like, it's a completely different style of passing than Jokic. But it is super entertaining. It is super fun and it's valuable. It's definitely not like, like it's not just for the show. It has legit value for the team. And he's an efficient scorer, an efficient shooter most of the time. He helped lead a team to the play in. They're eliminated now, but uh, most of that was because Gordon Hayward got injured. Like, LaMelo did some good things. And had Gordon Hayward been out there to kind of ease the tide for the rest of the team, I think that he would be in the playoffs right now. They wouldn't have to contend with a lot of what they've contended with lately. They might even be a six-seed or a five-seed or something like that. But the season went down badly. Uh, he he kind of went out with a whimper in this last game against Indiana, but I still think he's going to be a star. Definitely nothing to be too concerned about. Uh, still going to be a great guy. Anthony Edwards. Second place for me, superstar qualities. He had a poor supporting cast around him for much of the year, but finished really strong when everybody got healthy. Even before that, though, he was starting to figure some things out. But it really did take him time, and that's why I I give LaMelo the nod over him. LaMelo figured it out pretty quick, and then was at that level for most of the year. Anthony Edwards at the end might have been more valuable than LaMelo. Maybe, maybe not. but. LaMelo was doing it earlier, and so that's why he gets the nod for me. Shout out Tyrese Halliburton as well. Winning player, kept Sacramento afloat with a lot of chaos around him. Efficient scorer, efficient playmaker. Uh, Iowa State guy, reminds me of Monte Morris in a lot of good ways, but he'll be more dynamic than Monte. Uh, Very, very good player. All right, defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert. That's pretty much it. Pretty much all needs to be said. Uh, He is the best defensive player on one of the best defensive teams. And there are very few good defensive players around him. Think about who Utah has in their rotation. Mike Conley. Donovan Mitchell. Boyan Bogdanovich. Royce O'Neal. 
that's the starting unit. And Royce is a decent, like, he's a good defender, but he's not great. He's not super impactful. Same with all those other guys. Joe Ingles, Jordan Clarkson, Royce O'Neal, guys like that. Derek Favors is the backup center. So, like, they don't have great defense around Rudy. And yet, he has really elevated them to a different level. Just a a very valuable defensive force, especially during the regular season. Top of every defensive metric. Does a lot of important things. Could be exposed in the playoffs at times, especially by a shooting big man. But, if you ask him to protect the rim, he's going to protect the rim. Everybody else can stay out on the perimeter, because he's got everything else inside the three-point line. That's what he does really well. Other candidates, Ben Simmons is probably the only one, uh, possibly the most versatile defender in the NBA. And it's a very very interesting argument for him, because he's probably a better playoff defender than Gobert. That would be my argument for it, is that on the best defensive team, uh, he does have a ton of help. But when you're asking for a stop, when you need a stop on a particular possession, I think Ben Simmons is more valuable than Rudy Gobert. Because you can put Ben Simmons wherever you need to put him. Rudy, in aggregate, he will get more defensive stops because he's a center. And so that's just the value of center defense. But Ben Simmons, I think, deserves credit for what he's doing. And he doesn't necessarily get penalized for Embiid and Tybo being around him, Danny Green, guys like that. But it doesn't help his case. Like, those guys could be a great defensive team without him. We'll see what the Sixers look like in the playoffs this year. And then MVP. Last award, Nikola Jokic. This is kind of a duh award, because what Jokic has done over the course of this season, nobody should need to have to explain this. This doesn't need to be explained. He is top five in points, assists, and rebounds. He led the Nuggets to a third seed in the West, a much more competitive conference than the East. He helped the Nuggets survive countless injuries to their team. It was Porter early, Morris in the middle, Murray gets hurt after they trade for Gordon, followed by Morris getting hurt again, then Barton, then Dozier. Countless absences, countless uh, kind of inferior situations where they were at a disadvantage. And Jokic still fought through it, played every game, did what he had to do on every single possession in order for the Nuggets to survive. And that's what an MVP does. They put you on their back when need be. That is what he did. Other candidates, there really aren't any. Like, I think that Joel Embiid, had he played more, could have had a case. And Nuggets fans are probably going to get annoyed that I even say that. But Joel Embiid's a really good basketball player. I think he had the second best season in the NBA. Maybe Giannis Antetokounmpo, maybe because he played a little bit more. But... Joel Embiid this year was, I think, the second best player. Steph was probably third. 
Giannis probably fourth. But Jokic was first. First on impact, first on longevity, first on total value, first on total impact. Whatever you want to measure it by, Jokic was the guy this year. And it is hard to argue with that. If you try to do so, then you're fighting a losing battle. We have seen some of the awards ballots come in. Uh, One brave NBA Twitter person is compiling all of the ballots that they can find, compiling MVP scores, MVP MVP ballots. Good Lord. (laughs) Uh, All of them have come back with Jokic as the first place guy for MVP. And he's seen about 35 of the 101. So is Jokic going to be unanimous? I doubt it. I bet that the uh, Philly beat writer will vote for Embiid. I think that the Golden State beat writer will beat for will vote for Curry. And I wouldn't be surprised if a Milwaukee beat writer voted for Giannis. As well as some other random ones here or there. But if Jokic wins this like 95 to 6 on first place votes, that'll be pretty impressive. One of the most dominant MVP performances of a season that we've seen in a long time. Steph Curry in 2016 might be more dominant. But this wasn't close, folks. This was not close. And it makes me happy. Because we got that guy. He is a Denver Nugget. And I hope he's a Denver Nugget for a long time. I think he will be. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to touch on the stats preview for Nuggets Blazers. We'll be right back. Right, we're back. Pickaxe and roll final segment here. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you can, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. That would be awesome. Okay. I put up this article on Denver Stiffs titled 16 Statistics and Data Points to Preview the Nuggets Blazers Playoff Series. Pretty awful title, not going to lie. Could be a lot more interesting than what I'd put out there, but I wasn't really feeling for uh, creativity at this point. I was more for analysis. Uh, If you want to check it out, this is what I'm going to reference for this. I'm going to pick five interesting stats from this before we get out of here and just talk about the dynamics, talk about what we see from a Nuggets perspective, and, and from a Blazers perspective too, what they are thinking, what they are going to try. What, these, what some of these rotations are going to look like. Things like that. All of those minor details could potentially have a massive, massive impact. So, we're going to talk about it just here real soon. Okay. The Nuggets, they lead the season series 2-1 to one against the Blazers. Jamal Murray played in one of those games. And he certainly won't play in any of these upcoming. Uh, We don't know the status of Will Barton and P.J. Dozier. If I had to make a prediction on those two, I would say that Will Barton is back by either Game 1 or Game 2. 
and P.J. Dozier is coming back later in the series. Game 5, Game 6, Game 7. I don't know. Like, this is conjecture. This is just kind of hearing things through a grapevine. But Will Barton's definitely closer. That is for sure. That is for certain. Um, if he gets back, it will change the dynamic of this series. If he doesn't get back, I have concerns. On his career, uh, Nikola Jokic versus Yusuf Nurkic is an interesting matchup. Jokic has averaged 19 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists in 10 head-to-head matchups against Nurkic. Nurkic has averaged 18 points, 10 rebounds, and 2 assists against Jokic. Both have been efficient. Both have been good. Both of those guys have gotten the better of each other. And it wouldn't surprise me if there is a lot of discussion about Jokic not getting the better of Nurkic or not being good enough beyond what Nurkic is doing. Because what Jokic has to do on the defensive end against Yusuf Nurkic, he has to contend with Damian Lillard all the time. That is a problem. And that's probably the biggest reason why Nurkic is getting some of the success that he has. Because the Nuggets have to go two on ball against Dame. And Nurkic is basically left free if Lillard can get the pass off. That's going to be a big key for Denver. Can Jokic get enough steals? Can the Nuggets get enough steals? Can they prevent the pass from getting through to Yusuf Nurkic in the middle of the floor? If they can, Denver's going to win this series. If they can't, they might not. They definitely could go out in the first round. Here is how Jokic has been guarded by Nurkic and Cantor in their matchups this year. He scored 31 points on 11 of 16 from 2 and 1 of 8 from 3 against Nurkic. That is 12 of 24. 6 of 7 from the free throw line. He's going to have to hit threes. He's going to have to take those threes. That is going to be something. He hasn't shot the ball well of late. That three-point percentage has come down from about 42% to about 38% to end the year. He has not shot the ball well. He's going to have to find a rhythm. Jokic. It can't just be inside the arc. The Nuggets don't have enough spacing for that. He has to provide the spacing too. When guarded by Cantor, Jokic is 20 of 36 from the field, which is incredible. 3 of 4 from 3, 6 of 7 from the free throw line, scored 49 points, had 4 assists, and committed just 1 turnover when guarded by Cantor in 3 games. Jokic is going to be fine if going up against Cantor. The Nuggets are going to have to work for that. They're going to have to figure out that rotation. I'm very curious to see how they do that. Because the Blazers, they like to play Nurkic as much as they can against Jokic because they feel that that gives them the best chance to win. We're going to see whether Jokic can survive long enough for them to bring in Cantor and to take advantage of that. Because I would love to see Jokic going up against Cantor for most of this series. 
So maybe the thing is getting Nurkic into foul trouble. Maybe he's going to have to go foul hunting early in games. Maybe the Nuggets are going to have to do their best to screen him off ball, to attack him on the pick and roll, and and do the best thing that they can from a variability standpoint so that Nurkic doesn't just have to load up against Jokic in the post. Because Jokic can score in those situations. But I don't know if that's the only thing that they're going to want to do. Because it's very possible that the Blazers just double. Like, they may try to avoid that. But we'll see. Damian Lillard is likely going to be guarded by Faku Campazzo, especially at the start of this series, and for a lot of it. The Nuggets are going to give Faku the opportunity. They're going to try to get him to be on the floor and to stay on the floor. Because if he can stay on the floor, he provides a lot of value. When Lillard was guarded by Campazzo this year, Lillard shot 4 of 15 from the field. 4 of 15. That's about 28%. Including 2 of 8 from 3. The numbers say that, and I would be concerned if I were Nuggets fans, because I watched back all of the clips. I did that today, posted about it today on Twitter, Tuesday that is, that a lot of the shots that Lillard was getting when being defended by Faku were still open. Faku might have been in the vicinity, but he wasn't really doing a lot to prevent him from getting those clean looks. So that feels like a landmine waiting to happen. Lillard has the capability to go off, to carry the Blazers. The Nuggets, they want to do their best to not overcommit to him. They're already going two on ball. They're already trying to do a lot. If they can help it, they are going to try to get the ball out of his hands, but they don't want to make it too easy for him. This is going to be interesting. They're going to play two on ball. If Faku can defend that way, if he can get his hands in passing lanes, bother Lillard a little bit, force him to go into ISO and then defend him in ISO, then that should be good. My biggest fear is not him shooting over him. It's Faku being baited into fouls. It's him fouling out too quickly. Lillard's going to get a good whistle in this series. Faku is not. Faku is a 30-year-old rookie from Argentina who just came over. Lillard is a superstar. Lillard is the guy that people are going to be tuning in to see. My Argentine friends, I know you're tuning in to see Faku. Don't get me wrong. This isn't a slight. This is just kind of how the U.S. dynamic works. Like, Lillard is going to get star calls. So Faku has to be extra disciplined, extra careful. We'll see if he's up for the task. Then finally, the starting lineup for the Blazers this year. Among all 13 five-man lineups in the NBA to accumulate 300 minutes, the Blazers starting lineup of Lillard, McCollum, Powell, Covington, and Nurkic, they rank third in the NBA with a plus 13.4 net rating in 370 minutes. 
That's directly from my article. If you want to check out some of the other context for some of the other articles, then take a look at it. If you just switch out Nurkic for Cantor, it drops to 7.4, but it's still a plus 7.4 net rating. They still are good in those situations. Denver, they're going to have to figure out how to beat that formula. The Blazers run an eight-man rotation, especially now. They don't trust guys 9 through 17 on their roster. They can't. Those guys haven't been good enough. They are going to commit to Anthony Simons, Carmelo Anthony, and Inez Cantor off the bench. But the starting lineup that they use is really good, and it's going to play a lot together. Probably going to play about 30 minutes together in a lot of these playoff games. Maybe a little less, maybe a little more. I would wager at least 24 minutes. If that were the case, then I would expect the Nuggets to have to come up with a solution with their own starting lineup, whether that's Porter, Gordon, Jokic, and then two other guards like Faku or Austin Rivers. They're going to have to figure out how to weather the storm against that Blazers lineup because they shoot the hell out of the ball and they figured out how to defend just enough. That lineup is really good, but it's also the most important lineup in their group besides their bench units, the two ones with uh, with Simons, Cantor, and Mello in there. If Denver can survive the initial starting punch, they'll be in the games. They just can't go down 20 in the first quarter like they did in the final game of the year. Now, that was a game where Denver wasn't really trying. They didn't have a ton to play for. But we have seen Denver struggle at the beginning of playoff series because they don't have the same urgency. I wonder if that changes this time around or not. Denver's not going to have their reinforcements at the beginning. They're going to have to figure it out with the guys that they do have. They are going to need urgency and effectiveness from Jokic and Porter specifically. But they're also going to need everybody. Faku, Rivers, Gordon, Millsap, Green, Shaq Harrison. They're going to need it. It's going to be tough. I really hope they get back Will Barton. Because if they get back Will, even if you're playing him on the bench, playing him with Monte, you can go Monte Morris, Will Barton, Michael Porter, Jamichael Green, Paul Millsap. Feel pretty good about that lineup without Nikola Jokic. We'll see whether they can get to that. It's pretty much all I have for this one, though. Some conversation, some discussion about this series, but most of it, just awards talk. We're going to have a fun time. I'm gonna. I'm not going to be able to react to the Lakers-Warriors game tomorrow. But I am going to do that on a Thursday night show, in all likelihood. So we will see who else joins the Nuggets-Blazers-Suns side of the bracket in the Western Conference. Because if it's the Warriors, I feel pretty good about Denver's chances getting to the Western Conference Finals. They've just got to survive for a little bit. Get back some reinforcements. And then figure out just a way. Just figure out a way. Use your talent. Use your effectiveness together and hope that Jokic can carry the day. Hope that Porter's ready to join them. Because if they are, 
It's going to be special. That's going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. We will be back tomorrow. I'm going to have a special guest, a Blazers writer, on. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of talk, a lot of interesting discussion, schematic stuff, narrative stuff. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and I'll talk to you guys very soon. 